Welcome to Through the Mirror. My name is Aaron. Join me along with Miranda and Zach as we take a long, hard look at what we believe as individuals and try to come to a mutual understanding about love, faith, politics, social justice, and so much more. My hope is that as you listen, you keep an open mind to the opinions of the hosts and guests and try to understand your world through a new paradigm. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the second episode of Through the Mirror. Today we're meeting Zach, a self-proclaimed atheist with a deep, sultry voice and a nice handle on sarcasm. We met at a young age in rural South Georgia, from sleepovers to high school to fading away and finally reuniting. Zach explains how the questions he asked himself led him down a path unfamiliar to me. I had a lot of fun with this one. It was so interesting to see how our lives differed so greatly after being brought up in the same environment. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Um, so Zach, we've we've known each other for a pretty good while, oh, haven't we? Children, we were ill-fated children when we met. It was like what? 12 13 or even was younger than that right we were like before the double digits like i i moved to georgia uh from wisconsin i didn't move my parents my mother rather moved and had to take me with her because you know the baby i didn't want to have a you know home alone moment um (laughs) yeah we moved to georgia in 96 uh and then we started going to that church in cairo not long after we moved here and the house was finished being uh, remodeled and built. And that's where we, I met you and your sister, LaDonna, your mother and Bill. Um, and I've, I've just kind of grown up with you through the years and lost touch, but then, you know, re- yeah, there was like a, like a 10 year period where I, like, I left, we left college, left for college. And then I <laughs> went to Oklahoma for two years and to California for six or seven and, and came back and reconnected. And then I DJed your wedding. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I graduated high school and I worked for a year or so, uh, piddled around here and there, odd jobs. And, uh, I ended up moving to Arizona and California for a brief stint uh, here and there, more, more or less visiting. I didn't live in California, but I lived in Yuma, which I was, 10 15 minutes away from winter haven california um okay and so we'd, we'd pop in and out of cali fairly often and uh yeah i've got some uh some nice experiences and some cult experiences out there actually which we can get into tonight oh juicy yeah Ooh, wow. yeah. yeah i was in a cult but uh we'll, we'll get there uh what what do you remember about that church and about our friendship Ah, oh, the church was – it was a Pentecostal church. Um, I can't remember the name. Um, Full Gospel Chapel. That's not what – that's what it no, is now. No, Word of Life Christian then. Center. Word, Word of life. life, that's what it was, Word of Life, because they had WLCC on the back of all the chairs so that when people stole them, they knew where they came from because it was in the hood. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yep, I do remember that. Um that one didn't have – did that have the cemetery to the side of it, like off no. to the side lot? No. 
There was that a was church that a... I frequented growing up that had a cemetery in it, and it was weird. And I got an ass whooping in the cemetery one time, and I thought, this is just so disrespectful to the dead people that are just outside <laughs> the church. It was wild to me. No, I do remember um, all the kids would, you know, hang out together because we were a lot of us were all the same age. And uh, after like services or Sunday school, we'd all fuck around and do the stuff the kids do and then go to our respective families and have our either our youth services or when we aged out of that we'd go into the big church which always sucked because it was so boring (laughs) and then after church we'd always campaign all right who's going to whose house to play whose games on what console and who's gonna have a sleepover and uh well his parents aren't coming back to church this evening so you can't go with him well i don't want to go with this kid because i don't like him as much as i like this one but his parents aren't coming back and i don't have a ride home that was always the dilemma like, was it just that, or were there like other traumatic experiences that you could? Oh, I mean, on? just just regular goings on about growing up. I, I grew up with a single mother. Uh, I'm the youngest of four, and I'm 30 now, and I have a kid of my own. Um, my mother will be 60 in February. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a broken household. So, and I'm the only boy, and I'm the baby, so everything got blamed on me. Mostly it was my fault, but I had three older sisters that would gang up on me, and Zach did it, even though I had nothing to do with it. Uh, it was a lot of, uh, and a lot of it was very, very well deserved, but some of it, eh, not so much. Um, so after, after you guys left uh, that church, where did you go? We started going to a church. Um, in Bainbridge, yeah, it was Evangel Temple Assemblies of God, another Pentecostal church, and it was uh, the pastor was C. O. Thompson, his wife, his two daughters, their children, and uh, they were very, very heavily involved in the goings on of the church, um, which is fine. I mean, family-owned churches it happens almost everywhere. Um, where the family is very – I don't know that they own the building. I think they leased it, but that's neither here nor there. The, there was a, a hierarchy, and there was cliques. They had a nice, robust youth system. Um, the youth pastor, his name is Steve Mueller. He's still a very good – well, I wouldn't say very good, but he's a friend of mine. Um, I, I, I see him every day on Facebook. His daughter just had a kid. He has his first granddaughter – or grandson now, excuse me. Um, uh, we went there for a very long time. In Bainbridge, uh, a lot of my growing up was done at that church, and the people and friends that I met there that I still maintain contact to today. But the <laughs> the the devolution of how that church fell uh, from the peak in the area to crumbling at its base, um, there was. <laughs> I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't know how many people are going to hear this, but at the same time, I don't give a shit because fuck them. The family that ran the church, the Thompsons, uh, a lot of them had fallings out. Uh, One of them was married to a police officer. The daughter was married to a police officer in Bainbridge who uh, rumor was that he was bisexual. 
And that didn't sit well with the church. And then another rumor flew out that he was caught on dash cam fucking another guy on the front of his squad car, what? which I don't know if it was true or not. I don't know if it was true. I, I didn't care. I was still a little bit young and, and timid and innocent at the time. Anyway, uh, all these rumors started flying around about this family, which caused turmoil and chaos among the church and its denizens. And a lot of people left. Um, divorces happened. And then uh turns out the potentially bisexual police officer husband a gay son and then he had two gay sons then they had a third son who looked just like the mother and nothing like the father the oldest the middle looked just like their dads and the youngest looks nothing like their father looks just like their mother with blonde hair uh so (laughs) me being the the studious gentleman that i am i know that black black hair is a very dominant trait You, you can't really get past the black hair in a relationship so the oldest and the middle both had black hair look identical to their father the youngest was fucking jeffrey baratheon from game of thrones blonde hair (laughs) every other one is black hair so something's not adding up the milkman might be involved i don't know didn't point fingers i was too young to give a shit but then that relationship uh with her and her husband fell apart another woman was divorced with a kid who then got pregnant uh, it was it was it was bad, um, and they ended up leaving the church. Uh, this was in my later teenage years, sixteen, seventeen, after my throat surgeries that I had. I was still going to school in Cairo, Cairo High School. A new family had came into the church. I met them. I hung out with them at their home. Um, they had a young son named Andrew, and he was cool. You know, a uh, bit of a wild kid. And his sister was a fucking ten at the time, and I was all about his sister. So I would go to church just to see this girl. And I knew that that was bad because I had conflicting emotions, but my hormones raging. So I know that, you know, I need to live a godly life. I need to follow the Lord and do the right thing. But that girl's really pretty. And I want to keep looking at her (laughs) and not focus on what I'm here for. As I got older and I started seeing different things and people within the church and how people have diverted and as as more younger people came into the church and the diversity got a little bit broader um the girl got off the market which is fine you know wasn't meant to be i got a beautiful wife now that i'm more than happy with she's not perfect but she's perfect for me um that's a good that's good use that by the way if you guys are <laughs> oh i use that all the time <laughs> that's a good one to use so cheesy um, i love it that I came in under the guise of success. You know, we've had churches before. I was a CEO at a hospital, blah, blah, blah. We've got money. We've got this. We've got that. And they just took over everything. They took over all the finances. They took over all the bill pay. They took over all the memberships, the tithing and everything. And I think that there was exchanges of money that shouldn't have been had. But again, young teenager, wasn't really into all that stuff. My grandparents were heavily involved in the church as well, and they weren't going because of any financial reasons. They're going because they were very devout, and they liked the church. Uh, the family took over. A lot of people left, um, and I left included because I got older. I got a car, had a job, didn't care. Uh, my sister Rachel actually got married in that church, and I gave her away to her uh, deceased husband, Brad. Um. There's a lot of memories in that church. I still remember the stone walls in the in the pulpit and behind the altar where the baptismal was. Um, I could probably make the layout of the church on AutoCAD. I, I know it so very well because I spent a lot of time there. 
and there's a lot of good memories there. I have a lot of good memories of that place. Uh, good times with a lot of good people. And um, I'm still friends with, with several of them. Uh, one of the gay kids, uh, he was at my wedding. His husband actually helped coordinate my wedding kind of at a uh, last minute. And uh, they have a son. Um, I think they are fostering or they adopted another kid, but um, they had one that was natural, that was in vitro. They fertilized an egg so that they had, you know, one of their genetics in their kid. And he is the spitting image of, of his father. Uh, he looks just like his dad. I know that's weird to say because he has two dads, but his actual like father, they, biological they look father. Yeah. Yeah. His biological father and him are point for point. The same fucking person. One is just smaller and chubbier. <laughs> um, they're good people. Uh, things have changed for them though. Uh, as for, not for that, that gay couple, but for the church as a whole. And, the last time I was there, I was actually doing uh, some work around the corner in one of the apartments. And uh, it just, it flooded me with memories and there was a smile. You know, I, I had some good times there. I had some bad times there. But all in all, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, and it was a good experience as a kid to go through. I don't want to say like go through it like it was a trial, but to have that as a point of reference for what I wanted to believe in as I got older and I got out of my teenage years into my young adult years. I'm curious, how were, how was those gay kids received in that church? That was the thing though. They never came out as gay within the church until long after the family had left the church. Oh. Uh, I actually went to with the partition, whatever it's called, the the housing that is provided for the pastors of the church. I can't remember the name. I think it does start with, I think it is partition. Yeah. I was there with the new family that was moving into it. And the things that I saw in the house, um, there were illegal substances. There were cigarette holes, cigarette burns on carpets and furniture and walls. And it smelled like cigarettes. But then when you see the family, you don't see these things that they're doing behind closed doors. You know, the old family right. that was running the church. So especially with having a kid that's, that's gay, that's something within the church sphere that's frowned upon. It's shunned. You know, you don't want the, you don't want news getting out that your kid might be gay because, Oh, you've got to leave the church. Well, now you don't have the financial support that you need. And uh, you, you are a prominent figure in society now people are going to look at you differently. It's it's all about keeping up with the Joneses. You know, you want to yeah. be better than the next person. Saving face. And they they never came out. Uh, it was a long time before they did, but now they're they're both definitely out, very much out. Fabulous. <laughs> fingers, by the way. I I did the whole <laughs> snap. Um, but yeah, it was, <laughs> and again, the experience of going into that provided housing for the pastor and seeing what nobody else could see except the new family. And they're trying to, you know, maintain this air of, you know, we're also holy people and we're devout and we're, we're believers and we're going to do the right thing. They ended up being just as bad, if not worse than the former. So in your in your formative years in your faith, um, kind of seeing this pattern of like putting uh, seeing these people put on this kind of persona, and then and then it all comes out that they're not really what they what they are, are per, 
perceived That's to correct. be. Okay. Yep, that is correct. Um, so after uh, moving into your your te- your late teens to a young adult, um, did you find a church out where after you moved moved from Cairo? I I did when I uh, when I moved after I graduated high school. I spent a week in Orlando with my sister Kylie. She was working at Disney World, so I got to hang around Disney for a week, and I kind of lost the taste of it. I've never been a huge fan of Disney. Uh, I played my trombone. I, I was in band all throughout high school. I was very, very, uh, very much enjoyed uh, being in band, still very musically inclined. Um, I played my trombone in a garden outside of Disney in her apartment, and I pissed off all the neighbors, but I didn't give a shit because I thought it was cool. Uh, then I came home and then started working at a – a vending machine food services distributor out of Bainbridge. Uh, I got fired because I got accused of stealing. When I knew the guy had stolen the stuff, I didn't snitch on him because I was afraid he was going to kick my ass. And uh, You were afraid still... somebody was going to kick your ass? Yeah, yeah, man. I was still very timid, and I was trying to keep my job because I just bought a truck from this really skeevy car dealer, and I was trying to keep the payments on it. And it was only 75 bucks a month. But I, I was so bad with money in my younger years. I, I was dumb. I was a young, dumb kid. I had a pocket full of money, and all I wanted was to do is all I wanted was to buy cigarettes and 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 get drunk and and chase girls. Even though I was very, very bad at it. <laughs> uh, so I moved to Arizona. Uh, my grandparents decided they were going to move to Arizona. They have a daughter. I have an aunt that lives out there or lived out there at the time, and they moved into one of their properties. And they offered me a place. They said, "Hey, you know." come out here start over nobody knows who you are you don't know anybody here we'll help you get on your feet you help us you know maintain the house help with bills here and there and i said okay cool shoot let's let's go uh i drove with them to arizona on a suspended license my license was suspended uh i was 18 19 somewhere in there going 82 to 55 to go see a girl with my friend cody uh, <laughs> in his mom's <laughs> car. So I drove through El Paso, Texas and with no license with my grandmother and my grandfather was driving the Penske truck and we get to Arizona, we move into this house and I'm living there for a few years. Uh, I found a church out there. I went to a couple of churches with my grandparents. Um, I couldn't tell you the name of, of all of them cause I don't remember cause it wasn't very, I wasn't very heavily involved in them. Uh, but there was one, and it was called Generations, and it was right next to the Marine Corps Air Station uh, on 32nd Street in Yuma, Arizona, literally across the street from an adult sex store. Nice. <laughs> we're petitioning to get rid of this sex store, and it never worked. But that Generations Church is the cult that I had mentioned prior. Ooh, okay. It is a very bad place to be. Uh, so I was 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there, uh, late teens, early 20s when I moved there. I was still smoking cigarettes. I remembered I they told me – my grandparents said that I had to quit smoking. They got me all kind of gum and sunflower seeds, anything to keep my mind off of it. And I was I was still a shithead. You know, I still smoke cigarettes. Marble 54s actually is what I used to smoke when I was on my way to Arizona. And um, I hid it for so long. Uh, anyway, they had found this church. And um, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll go. You know, I, I was still a believer at the time, still questioning my faith, but I was still pretty heavily involved in the Christian right. 
get to the church and it's very casual. It's huge. There's, you know, 1500, 2000 people in this just big ass warehouse. They've got a stage. They've got a real live band. They've got, uh, you know, like literal rock stars, just shredding guitars, you know, 36 piece drum kits. They've got very talented singers. They've got lights, laser shows. They've got the foggers on the stage. I mean, it was the production value of this place was just immaculate. It was beautiful. (laughs) Everything that I had wanted for a modern church. And I was like, you know what? I can vibe to this. I had people, you know, wearing, you know, nice blue jeans and, you know, high tops with, you know, like a blazer over a t-shirt, you know, very casual, but also a little bit, you know, spiffy, as my wife would say. She's a big fan of the word spiffy and swanky. But it was different. You know, here I am in, in, a, in a, a pair of slacks, a, a long a button-down shirt and a tie because that was church attire. You know, you wore your yeah. Sunday best and stuff. Yeah. It was Georgia. That was the norm. Or at least a pair of slacks and a polo shirt. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to church up. And I was just floored. You know, <laughs> I uh, – I, I I loved the vibe of it and the atmosphere and it hooked me and I was sitting with my grandparents and they're like the oldest people in the building and my grandmother says you know there's a group of guys up there just go talk to them okay cool so I did just walked up to these strangers never met them a day in my life didn't know their names said hey man uh, I'm Zach I just moved here from Georgia about four months ago can I sit with y'all they're like sure uh, so we go through the music. It's very modern, you know, Skillet, but it's like they're recreating Skillet songs on stage, like live. And it was cool. Um, and uh, we go through the service and very scripted. They've got the big teleprompters. They've got the big, you know, screens. And the the pastor on stage was very charismatic. And he put out a good message and I enjoyed it. And at the end of the service, you know, everyone stands up, they bow their heads, they pray the whole nine. They ask anybody who doesn't know Jesus, come to the front. And all these people just start running to the front. And I'm like, all right, cool. Well, this seems like a bit of an act, but, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll go with it. And at that point in my life, I was saved. You know, as, as Christians believe you're saved, you're saved. Um, and I witnessed what happened. And these people, these, these guys in the front row got up and started standing behind these folks, put their hands on them, and they pray with them, blah, blah, blah. So then uh, as the night progressed, these guys were like, hey, uh, you said you're new here. Do you you want to come hang out with us? And I lit up like I was like, absolutely. I would love to. Like, I don't know who you are, but maybe you're going to murder me in your car in the middle of the. (laughs) Yeah, let's hang out like it was cool to have that acceptance. Um, So I go to these guys houses where we have, you know, some sodas, some chips, no drinking, you know, no, no smoking, nothing like that. They're they're drinking like alcohol. No 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 no. There was no like adult beverages. It was okay. like sodas and Capri Suns and bottles of water and hang out by the pool and and network. Uh, so I I committed to it. I committed to being a member of this church. Uh, I got the little decal on the back of my car. Um, I was working at the time. My I didn't have a car when I moved to Arizona. So let's get into the 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 pillar, the pyramid scheme of this church and why it is actually a cult. Okay. So are you familiar with the G12 vision? Have you ever heard of that? No, I can't say that I have, Miranda. No. There's a pastor in uh, Bogota, Colombia. His name is Cesar Cast- uh, Castellanos. Yeah, Cesar Castellanos. And he created the G12 vision. 
So the great commission in the Bible at the end of, I think it's John, uh, you know, go out and make fishes of all men. Jesus had 12 disciples and those 12 disciples had their own disciples and so on and so forth, leading back up to Jesus. So Jesus had the 12, the 12 had their own 12 and their 12s, 12 had their own 12, so on and so forth. Right. And the way this church had, had broken it down is you had a cell, you know, your cell of your 12 disciples, your 12 followers, but you all answer to your leader. His name was Robert Lopez. Uh, he is a Marine Corps staff sergeant, war- oh, excuse me, Marine Corps warrant officer three, I think. And that now I think he's military police. But he is leaps and bounds one of the greatest men I have ever met in my entire life, full stop, regardless of his religious faith. He is a good man. He's a good father. He was a great leader beyond just what the church offered, just in general life experiences. Great fucking guy. Uh, so I'm in – I was going to this guy's house you know, every day. Met his wife, met his son. Um was there when his wife got pregnant with their second kid. He's a great guy. His family was amazing. He was good to me. I was good to him. But I was part of his cell. And as I got more involved with this group, I went to what's called School of Leaders, which is like a seminar you sit in, the big, you know, the big auditorium of the church, and one of the main pastors, 12, is on stage giving you a lecture. You take notes. You have a test. You pass the test. All right, your school leaders, level one, level two, level three, whatever. And uh, it's getting a little dicey for me. It, it is. It's it, it gets weirder though. Uh, as I went through no, school, no. Leaders, other, other opportunities were presented to me to go through different other seminars, other quote unquote trainings. Um, so at this time I was selling insurance through a company called GCS. Um, I had worked for a company called safety services incorporated. It was very formal. It was cold call call center owned by one of the pastors 12 and his name was Devin Dickinson. I worked for him. I went into this building and I said, Hey, I I need to talk to, to Devin. And this lady laughed at me when I was applying for the job. She laughed at me. I was like, what are you laughing at me for? She's like, nobody meets with Devin. I said, well, I'm, I'm here to meet with Devin today. I, I was told he owns this place. I was told he's looking for people. I go to his church. Oh, you go to his church. Give me just a minute. And the tone changed in an instant. And then a few minutes later, I'm in a meeting with the owner of this company. He offers me a job. I take it. And I start a couple of days later, and I'm doing cold call sales to random businesses across the country selling OSHA state labor law posters. You know, you go to the break room of your place of work, and they've got the posters. You know, it's the law, blah, blah, blah. And they break down all the OSHA shit and all the federal laws that the company has to follow. These posters uh, – are required. You have to have them posted in public spaces so that people that work there can see them so that they are reinforced in the notions of the law. We were selling these people laminated copies of these for a hundred bucks a pop when they can get them for free. Damn. And telling them they had to buy them. Right. So I'm cold calling folks uh, constantly all day. And then I get moved over to cancellations and I'm still going to the church. I'm still with the company and it is a sales driven job. I go to cancellations. Now I have to sell daily log uh, injury reports, you know, and uh, MVDDS books and safety shit, you know, very important safety shit that people need to follow that is, again, readily available for free, uh, selling these people things that they don't need. Uh, and then <laughs> I got fired. They moved offices. We got a new office. I moved to the new office with them. And I remember the day that I got fired from it. 
it was another, it was a manager who was in the owner's cell. So the owner is in Pastor Whitmer's cell, who is in Pastor Castellanos' cell, who created the G12 vision. Okay. Jose Mendoza was the guy who was my manager who was in Devin Dickinson's cell. He fired me because I called him a dick because <laughs> he was being a dick. Uh, he, he, he was doing his rounds of the office and I was in cancellations. There's a chick behind me that was pissing me off and giving me shit all day. And uh, Jose had come up and he's like, hey, man, how's your sales going today? He's like, oh, I got double nuts. You know, I got a hundred bucks. He's like, well, you need to, you need to do better. You've been here for you know a few months now. You know, blah blah blah. I was like, hey man, I'm trying. You know, I, I'm doing cancellations. You know, people don't want this stuff. They're canceling, and I'm I'm over here trying to basically revive a sale. Well, you need yeah. to do better. Well, you need to stop being a dick. Okay, <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> and then a day later, I'm in a, in a meeting, uh, getting fired, which I didn't care. I was still young and stupid, and I didn't realize the value of having a job. So anyway, I'm still going to the Not church. Not a good job, though. Not a good job. No, it wasn't. It was it was a big scheme, and I think they got in trouble, but I, I left it, and I never looked back to it. Um, I ended up doing uh, telesales for global contact services, selling insurance over the phone, which is also uh, immoral. Not illegal, just immoral. Uh, again, cold calling. No sales quota, but I was still going to the church, and – in within Robert's cell, my leader's cell, a guy named Johnny came in. Johnny is a, a Marine. Robert is a Marine. There's, there's a Marine Corps base in Arizona, and a lot of these people that are at this church are Marines. So Johnny was a good guy. Um, I didn't have a car, and he had an old Pontiac Sunfire. And he's like, hey, man, you need a car? I'm like, yeah, I do. I was like, how much do you want for that Sunfire? He's like, how about 300? I was like, 300? I can do that. He's like, no, 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 free 100, F-R-E-E 100. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you can have the car. I got the title. I'll sign it over to you. It's yours. Wow. So he gave me a car. Uh, so I couldn't quit my job with the contact services. So I kept working for them so I could pay for insurance and you know gas and everything. And I was still going to the church. At the time, I had gone through School of Leaders Level 3. I'm very involved in Robert's cell, Robert's family. I'm cutting his grass. You know, I'm hanging out with him on the weekends. I'm going to see him at night, have dinner. He's coming over to my house to have dinner, and we're doing our little ministry. Um, and it was going good for me and him. And then uh, – my grandparents said that they're going to move. They're moving back to Georgia. And, uh, okay, cool. Well, um, I don't have a good job. I was working at Toys R Us part-time overnight because I quit the uh, the sales job with GCS because I just didn't like it anymore. I stopped, I'd stopped wanting to do phone stuff. So I was working at Toys R Us doing overnight uh, stocking, just seasonal. And my grandparents said around Christmas time that, you know, we're going to move back to Georgia. We just, they're selling the house out from under us. The bank is foreclosing on it. And uh, it wasn't their house that they were paying rent to their daughter. And they were selling the house out from under my grandparents, not my aunt, her husband and her brother and his brother. Wow. So they kind of got pushed out. So February, March was the time that we were going to be moving, you know, 90 days or so. So I was in school leaders three within the church, still pretty hot and heavy into it. Uh, another real big facet of this church was tithing. Every service, Sunday and Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, they ask you to tithe. The Bible says give 10% of your earnings before anything else, before taxes, before your rent, before anything else, 10%, the Lord will bless you, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they were very, very pushy about getting tithes 
they had people that were set up uh, after or during intermissions, you know, already waiting with buckets. They had armed security to make sure that the tide got to where it needed to go. Okay. To the vault, to the bank, or to the safe, whatever. Um, and I got to be part of that walk one time. And I was like, you know what? This is too much for me. I don't like it. I never want to do the tithe receival, uh, receiving again, ever. I'd rather do parking lot. Let me stand outside in the desert heat. I don't want to be around assholes with guns. I'm good. Um, but they were real heavy on collecting money. And they had like income reports that they would send back to you like, oh, your donation to the church or your contribution to the church. And that set a little weird with me. Uh, anyway, as the timeline progresses, we're going to jump forward to when I was leaving. I was going to get a haircut because I was coming back home. I didn't want to look like a bum. So I was going to get a haircut and I met a girl that was cutting my hair. Her name was Mandy. And she was real flirty. You know, I was still real heavy in the church. Uh, and I got her last name and I found her on Facebook and I just sent her a message and said, Hey, uh, this may be a little weird. You were cutting my hair. I felt uh, a vibe. You know, if I'm wrong, tell me to fuck off. I won't be offended. But if I'm right, just send me a message back. And she did. And about a week later, my uh, cell leader, Robert, was like, hey, we need to get you in the courting uh, leaders, the courting school of leaders session. I was like, what is that? He's like, well, courting is at, if you're going to be a member of this church, which I was, you know, I paid dues, I paid my tithes. If you're going to do any kind of courting or any kind of dating, you need to court a person. Well, what is it? Well, courting is you're in a relationship, but you don't show emotion. You don't hold hands. You don't kiss. You don't go alone anywhere together. You don't hang out after nine o'clock. You're, you're always hanging out with friends so that there's no emotion there. And I'm thinking like, that's, that's not fun, right? Why would you date no. somebody and not show them that you care for them? <laughs> like, how do you, oh yeah, nice to see you. Have a good night, you know, with you and all of your you know, 30 friends. We're going to go see a movie with 20 of us. That's, that's kind of not romantic at all. Well, not the, behind it, the reasoning behind it is, if the relationship doesn't work out, then nobody gets hurt. Well, if I have feelings for this person and I can't express them and they decide to break it off, my feelings are hurt no matter what. Well, not if you don't express them. Ah, that's, that's, that's a big fucking red flag. <laughs> yeah. So they make me go to this courting thing. So I do it and I'm like, you know what, whatever. I'm going to try to court this girl. Um, and I didn't, I didn't try. I, I'll be honest. I didn't even remotely try. Uh, I was attracted to her. She had an eight-year-old son. She was 30. I was 20. So to me, that was just taboo. You know, that was crazy. That yeah. was done this before. Let me hook up with this older girl. And we did often. You got yourself a cougar, bro. I did. I did. She liked a nice 20-year-old Georgia boy, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they found out about my relationship with her. And about the time they found out about my relationship with her, I just quit going to the church. So I got my buddy Robert calling me, blowing me up. He said, hey, man, where are you at? I quit. What do you mean you quit? I quit. I'm just not coming in. Well, you can't do that. I can. Well, I got to move you to a different cell. So he moves me to some other guy's cell. And at this point, I just didn't, I didn't care anymore. I, I, I saw what the church was. I had heard rumors around the city of people that have gone there and left there, um, what they do with the money, what they do with people and the various, I don't want to call it mind control, but the way that they kind of brainwash you a little bit into thinking that if you don't tithe and you don't do these things and you're a bad person, the Lord won't bless you. And 
it was weird. The the only cult thing that they didn't do was fuck each other's wives, like you know David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, or you know uh, yeah. what was uh, Jones the Jonestown guy. Um, <laughs> they, yep. They they were just shy of doing that kind of stuff. But after uh, after I'd left about a year two years ago, um. A buddy of mine that I, I hung out with, his name was Andrew Bellamy. Uh, he's a fantastic drummer. He introduced me to a Treyu and Avenged Sevenfold, and I love him every day for it. He married the wife of the pastor's brother. The pastor's brother cheated on his wife and married a girl that I was interested in, who was about 20 years his younger. Um, that bastard. It, there was so, again, with like the same thing that happened with uh, Don Smith at Word of Life. The the rumors that flew around, but these weren't rumors. These were confirmed cases of uh, both spousal abuse, um, cheating, infidelity, adultery, and then seeing it coming from the prominent figures of this church. And, and nothing happened from it. Like nothing cascaded downhill. Everything was fine. All these people that are still brainwashed and in love with this church and in love with God. And all these people were still going there religiously every Saturday every Sunday. And meanwhile, I, I'm living the life on paper, but behind the scene, behind those closed doors, I got my cigarettes. I got my dating apps. I got my nudes. I got all these girls that I'm talking to. And, and then when, with, when I met Mandy, all that stopped and it was just all about her. But I knew that I was going against what this church wanted and I didn't care because it felt good. Well, then they, 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 they guilt trip you, you know, as most churches do like oh you're living in sin you're gonna burn in hell for all eternity because you got your penis wet well i don't give a shit (laughs) i'm gonna continue to to do that uh and that was the major transition of why i kind of diverted from christianity as a whole uh mostly because of that church and experiences in the past from churches like it not exactly a cult but the the hypocrisy again yeah um, you can't tell me that i'm doing something wrong when you're doing the exact same fucking thing but way more than i am yeah yeah maybe not a cult i think it was it does yeah it does sound, sounds, sounds, sound a little healthy. Healthy. sounds a little bit culty I- I took a uh, anthropology class on magic, religion, and witchcraft, and we covered cults, and that's a cult. Yeah. <laughs> I got an A in that class. I think I've got... <laughs> yeah, I have a good understanding of cults, so you, you have yeah. the credentials. That's a cult. So I was in a cult sure for a good little while. Uh, I invested in this cult for a good little while, my younger years. Uh, and my, my early 20s, 2021, I moved back to Georgia. Um. Uh, from there, I met a girl, lived in Mobile with her for a while, could not find a job for months. And then they kicked me out because I just I could not couldn't find a job. That's where I discovered Minecraft. That was fun. <laughs> Played a lot of Minecraft. Um, moved to Pensacola. And when I was in Pensacola, that's where my life actually started in my early 20s, 23, 24. But yeah, that's my uh, that's my religious background. So after after you left that church, um, uh, how did you get from uh, from like living in a cult to just 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, completely uh, denying God exists or not believing in that. Like, uh, was there anything like what was your thought process? Well, there was no cosmic phenomena that happened to make me stop believing in God. What happened was I got older. Um, I started working more, putting more time into creating a career, creating a, an identity, um, working on myself, working on my charisma, working on how I talk to people, how I networked with people, and looking at other aspects of religion as a whole. Everything from Christianity to the different orthodoxies within Christianity, Catholicism, the comparisons between Catholicism and Islam, uh, Islam and Shinto, uh, Japanese religions, Um, looking into different facets and then realizing that George Carlin said it best. There's over 200 countries in this planet, each with their own organized religion, and you have the audacity to say that yours is correct. You know, mm-hmm. things yeah. like that. Not, not to just I, I'm probably a horrible misquote of George Carlin, but that's the gist of it. There are empires that have risen and fallen under different deities, you know, centuries of beliefs for 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 somebody to say, well, my God is the one God. Well, I don't I don't buy that. I don't buy that any of them are real. But that's not my right to tell you that you're wrong. If you're going to come at me by telling me that I'm wrong for not believing, then we're going to pick a fight. But I'm allowed to disagree with you with respect, you know, or allow you to live your life without having to fight you on it. And I don't, as an atheist, I don't go around eating babies and and worshiping Satan because that's Satanism, <laughs> which isn't no, worshiping you don't? Satan. Actually, Satanism, they don't worship Satan. They don't. That, that's why I was just saying that Satanism doesn't yeah. worship Satan. <laughs> Satanism, I, I think I'm more of a Church of Satan guy than an atheist, to be honest, because of what they actually believe in. They're pretty pretty damn awesome. Yeah, they uh, cover consent better than some religions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the Church of Satan is um, don't be a dick to people, and people shouldn't be a dick to you, but if they're a dick to you, be a dick back. Like that's 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 the long and short it. of it. Like that, if anybody that's listening has the time and the wherewithal, just Google churchofsatan.org, I think is the website, and just read their their different tenets. You'll be very surprised at what they actually believe in, and you can even apply to be a card carrying member of the Church of Satan. And it's actually pretty interesting. It's it's worth a, it's worth an hour or so of your time to read it. I'll put that in the show notes. So, okay, you you claim claim atheism, but the closest closest religion that you could uh, identify with is Church of Satan, right? No, I would still claim atheism uh, because atheism, by definition, is the lack of belief in God or gods as a whole. I don't believe that there are any gods that hold sway over me or my life. Period. I don't believe that there is a higher power. I think that we were created uh, by accident through evolution. Um, and we are trillions and trillions of years of just abject failure until we finally, as a species, got it right. And there's still vestigial traits that people carry, like earlobes being attached to your body or not. Uh, the ability to move your ears is a vestigial trait that humans no longer need. Which I can't uh, do. You can look at people from the 20s and 30s and look at people from 2020 
and they're still human, but they look so different, not just because of hairstyle and clothing, just facial structure, bone structure. Uh, people were, it's, if you have the time listeners or even the hosts, just look at different photos of people throughout the years and look how society and the human body has evolved and changed over time. And you can see it in real time. Um, but no, as far as religion is concerned, I, I see myself as an atheist, um, not because of Christianity, but because of all religions as a whole. Because when you boil them down to their baser values, they are all saying the same thing. Some of them have more gods. Some of them have less gods. Some of them have no gods. But at the end of the day, they all go to the same power. Uh, there's one almighty or there's several almighties and everything else is underneath them and you're underneath everything under the gods. And I decided that I'm not going to have something that I can't prove exists or not. Tell me how to live my life. I'm not going to be ruled by some unknown force. I'm going to live my own life to the fullest that I can and be as happy as I can with the life I live. I don't want to have to devote myself to something that I can't prove. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually, that's kind of what I love about the the, the three of us. Um, I actually, I feel more connected to Miranda, even though like she doesn't necessarily believe in the the same things that I believe. But you, you also bring on such a different viewpoint that even though me and Miranda believe very different things you also believe very different things from the two of us and i think that's that's actually kind of beautiful um i think you're beautiful too well thank you <laughs> uh, uh a question that i wanted to ask you was um what do you think the dangers and benefits are of religion i mean everyone needs something to believe in um, whether it is a religion or an idea. Uh, the benefit of having a religion is the networking, definitely, beyond a doubt. The amount of people that believe in God in this country vastly outnumbers the amount of people that believe in uh, Celtic deities like Miranda does. So yep. it's it's easier to find people cut from the same cloth as you with common interests. Uh, you develop friendships, bonds, uh, but therein also lies the danger of being an atheist is people have this preconceived notion that I'm a bad person and my entire purpose is to go out and demean your God and your beliefs, which that's that's not what it is. Like we don't have meetings. We don't organize. That is against being an atheist. Like there is no organized religion for atheism because it's not a religion. But no, to answer to answer your question, there are no formal gatherings. There are no meetings there is no theme around atheism we don't have buildings because it's not but the, a religion. <laughs> but the the i mean it doesn't have to be formal but there, i mean i'm I mean, sure there's a community out there yeah um, like i mean you do i mean you quote it former uh not former atheists but you quote atheists and you have people that you follow that you know people that you look up to and stuff like that right not because they're atheists no okay the, the atheist republic is just a community page where people share memes to be totally honest with you it's it's public it's open on facebook you can definitely take a look at it it's not all about you know oh this is atheism this is what we do this is what we stand for no this is a page where we can 
kind of chit chat about things if you want or not to share memes and shit post. Okay. Uh, so we definitely, uh, so the benefits, uh, obviously you have a lot to say about, uh, the dangers of having, uh, organized religion in your experience. Well, so the benefits, the networking, you know, getting to know people, uh, finding that community is a lot easier if you have an organized religion that you are a part of. Um, the dangers of organized religion, though, is there is a toxic side of it. There are those people that take it a little bit too far, and their mind is so closed off to the idea of anything being different than their opinion that they become a danger themselves. Uh, I've gotten into many heated debates on the internet and in person with people that are devout of many faiths, uh, and it always turns out it, it goes to a very negative place very, very quickly. Uh, it's like arguing with a brick wall, especially somebody as stubborn as me. Uh, I am open to new ideas, but when I met with a person who is not, <clears throat> that that wall goes up on me, and I'm not going to budge. Neither are they. That That's the dangerous side of it, because then you lose connection to that person. You lose connection to a group of people because your beliefs don't line up with theirs. It is harder, I will say, since I've become an atheist, to... I don't want to say establish relationships, but to make meaningful connections with people mm -hmm. because there is, there is a gap that I, I cannot bridge that gap. They don't want to meet me halfway on their theocracy and I'm not going to meet them because we, we our, our chakras don't align or whatever. I don't need to believe that there is a higher power guiding my life. I am in control of my life. I, I believe in my wife. I believe in my daughter. I believe in my home. I believe in my job. You know, I believe in the things that I can control and that I can prove beyond a shadow of doubt. I, I, I believe in working for the things that I want and keeping the things that I have. It's tangible. It's, it's provable. It's undeniable. I can run tests on it, and they will come back the same result every single time. I, I can't um, do that with religion. Uh, okay, what about those things that you can't control? How do you deal with that? Because that's my religion, and I'm sure Miranda as well, if, if you can confirm or deny this. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of where the importance of my religion I hold near is like the things that I can't control. Like maybe that's something that helps me. It, it depends on what the thing is that I can't control. <laughs> Things that I can't control, when I think of that exact phrase, I think of my line of work. I am assigned a certain amount of jobs every day that I have to complete on my route with DISH. I cannot control what happens at each house. I can't control what has happened prior to my arrival. I can control what happens from the point that I get there to the point that I leave. Um, that doesn't really play into the conversation though, but that's really the only thing that springs to mind when you talk about control what you can control. I can take the reins on a job site. I can rebuild the side of the house. I can rebuild a satellite. I can put in new receivers. I can sell a whole bunch of product that we offer and I can control all that. I can't control a customer's overreaction to a price point. I can't control the customer's overreaction to having to run a new wire, drill a hole. Um, how do I handle those situations? It, it depends. I de-escalate the conversation. I move on to different price points or 
change the conversation in a direction that I can control. So I guess with things that I don't have control over, if I can't gain control, I don't worry about it. Let chaos ensue. Uh, I mean, that, and that's a part of life. You can't control every little thing. I can control how my gaming systems are set up. I can't control who joins my Xbox party. I can control how my game collection is set up. I can't control if my kid goes over there and knocks it down unless I stop her. You know, you have to have a certain level of chaos in life with your control. Otherwise, the control means nothing. Um, that's good, man. That's good. Uh, I think um, maybe it's it's the way that you uh, deal with the chaos is trying to figure out how to um, control it. And if you can't um, control that chaos or you can't make it into something that you um, – then you make the best of it with what you have. Yeah, it's like water off a duck's back. Like, okay, that's yeah. life. How do you deal with um, with like tragedy and stuff like that? It's just it's like that something just happens and the world is fucked up. And <laughs> I that's a double edged sword uh, because it depends on the tragedy um, and it's all subjective. For uh, the the Newtown, Connecticut, the massacre of the children in the elementary school. I came home from work that day. I was living in Pensacola and my sister and her boys were living with me and my grandparents in Pensacola for the time. And I was with my girlfriend after I heard the news about it and I got in my truck and I went home and I just hugged the boys and they're, you know, 2,500 miles away from where the, the massacre and the shooting had happened. But the idea that it could have been my nephews, um, yeah, that was a tragedy overall and there's conspiracy and speculation, but that's all bullshit. Just fuck all the conspiracy. Uh, the idea that could have happened to myself and then the people that went through it, how are they handling it? Uh, my grandfather passed away almost a year ago now. Um, I think this week will be a year and I handled it pretty well. Um, <clears throat> I cried. Uh, obviously he was a very, very good man. Um, he was my father, you know, because my parents were divorced. They're remarried now, but I grew up without a dad. So my grandfather, Papa, was a very, very important father figure in my life. Uh, my wife was six, seven, eight months pregnant whenever he died because Abby's birthday is next month. So, yeah, it was, yeah, she was about eight months pregnant when, when he passed away. Uh, I handled that pretty well, but, again, can't control it. Dementia, Alzheimer's, his brain was literally just fracturing over and over nothing you can do make him comfortable familiarize him with his surroundings and uh do what you can to keep him alive and keep him happy um but the tragedy is is subjective i i knew that his passing was coming and i anticipated it early i got my goodbyes out of the way i i reconciled a lot of feelings that i had uh early on so that whenever it would happen. It wouldn't hit as hard because I had other things that were more important. Not that his passing wasn't important, but I had a wife who was terminally pregnant. So that was, that was priority number one above everything yeah. else. Um, and we made it work. Uh, we have a healthy, happy baby now. She's awake currently because <laughs> the bedroom light is on. Um, but it, 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 it just depends. Uh, it depends on the tragedy and how and how it actually affects me. Uh, the Newtown, Connecticut massacre didn't affect me personally, but emotionally it took a toll because there's yeah. children that, that were murdered. Um, and my grandfather's passing affected me personally, but I couldn't let it affect me 
too much because I had too much at stake. I couldn't put my focus and all my chips in that basket. I had to yeah. focus on what was more important while also maintaining face and relations with the family while we were all going through a pretty hard time. But I don't look to, uh, I don't look to any sort of divinity for guidance on stuff like that. Again, it's all about control, uh, controlling your emotions and your feelings uh, during a time of tragedy or consequent mm-hmm. chaos. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. That that definitely answer, answers the question. Zach, I'm I'm gonna ask you a, a question um, that I'd asked Miranda. Um, okay, let's say that a, a person is very adamantly against what you believe. What would you say to that person to, to humanize yourself and say, "Hey, I'm just I'm just a fucking person." Like, I mean, I, I, if, if you cut me, I bleed. Uh, if, if I work, I still give a chunk of my time and money to uncle Sam for taxes. Uh, I'm still a human. I still put my pants on one leg at a time. People, we can coexist as believers and non-believers and polytheistic believers just fine. I don't have to conform to your standard to be a valid or good person in my eyes. I think that I'm a good person, regardless of what you think. You're allowed to disagree with me, but you're not allowed to attack me. You're not allowed to dehumanize me because I believe in something differently than you. It's no different than a, a Baptist and a Methodist. You you can't. You're both under the same ortho or the same belief. You're just different orthodoxes. You both believe that Jesus is Jesus and God is God. You just have a different way of going about worshiping and and showing reverence. I how would I humanize myself to somebody who hated me? I mean, I would get to a point, I would try to state my case politely to an individual. If they were polite to me, even if they were dogging me, like I'm still a person, I'm not going to take it to heart because that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. If a person is trying to dehumanize me and, 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 and make me feel like I'm the bad guy, I I'd probably just walk away from it because it's not worth getting into a conversation or picking a fight with somebody who's narrow-minded and bullheaded about their beliefs over mine or my lack of beliefs. Mm-hmm. It's just not worth the fight. It's not worth the drama. It's not worth the time that I would have to spend because I'm not going to convince that person of my plight. So I'm not going to put myself in a situation to care. I would definitely say though, you know, I am a person I pay taxes. I'm a father. I'm a human. I'm a son. I'm a brother. Uh, I mean, I'm just as human as you are. Treat me like it. No different than Miranda. Uh, People see her as an oddity. 20 years ago, she would have probably been murdered. Somebody would have killed her because they're afraid of it. They're afraid of what they don't understand. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And (laughs) to, to, there's a, a very good lecture. Um, by a black man. I can't remember his name, but he became really good friends with the leader, one of the leaders of the KKK in Mississippi or wherever. Oh, uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, they, they had a discussion in a hotel and the ice in the little bucket that they had melted and shifted and nobody knew what it was. The bodyguard drew his gun. The, 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 the KKK leader was looking concerned. The black man doing the interview was looking concerned. And so was his assistant. And then they all realized that it was the ice that melted and they laughed. But the reason they all reacted that way is because they were afraid of something that they did not know. They don't know what it is. So the natural reaction is to fear it. People, mm-hmm. 
people yeah. don't know who I am and what I believe or don't believe. So their first reaction is to fear it. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. That's All the right, path Yoda. to the dark side. That's Star Wars. <laughs> but be that as it may, it rings true in yeah. so many aspects of life. Definitely, I mean, it is yeah. Star Wars, but you, you're, you're afraid of something, so you get mad at it. Like you get mad at it, you begin to hate it because you, and it all leads back to your lack of understanding, your ignorance to something. And if a person is willfully ignorant, I don't have a reason to humanize myself to them. Let them live in their ignorance and their mediocrity. And I'm going to live my life and be as happy as I can possibly be. And they can live in their small, narrow-minded world and be as happy as they can possibly be. It's not my job to tell you you're right or wrong. Is there any maybe final thoughts that you may have on on your story? Uh, anybody that's listening, if you are struggling with your faith, I mean, reach out to people. Talk to folks. Talk to your loved ones. Talk to your spouses. Talk to your friends. Talk to people at your church or, or if you don't go to church, whatever it is, reach out to someone. It's It's always good to question the world around you, not just your faith, but everything ask why it's important it, knowing something and understanding something <clears throat> are two very different things look for an understanding don't look for a reason don't don't look for the knowledge understand what it is um learning and knowledge is power yeah seek that power awesome man thank you so much that was a great conversation um we are going to call it there um Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Have a good one.